Someone once told me that no one says life is fair. When you hear that when you're young, you have no idea what it really means. Once you've lived a little, and then you lose everything, suddenly it makes sense. This podcast is a true life memoir of someone who lost everything and is rebuilding in search of who they once were. They're sharing their story as part of their healing process and so that anyone else out there living through similar circumstance knows that they're not alone. Dave the Clone here with the next installment of the Feeling It, Healing It, A Diary of Recovery podcast, otherwise known as Mind of Maresca. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Uh, and, uh, yeah, yeah, man, coming to you guys at the uh, end of a, a little bit of a heavy week this week. Even though it's not like this diary is kept on a weekly basis, but we're at day 322 of sobriety, so we're closing in on that one-year mark. Kind of uh, surprising how fast that went by. Um, Still waiting to hear back. Actually, the only news, the only update I've got on this job prospect is that they are still interviewing candidates, and they have not made any decisions yet, but they will let me know as soon as they do. And I guess there's a part of me that was a little knocked back by that because there was so much momentum when they first spoke to me, and I had, like, these three interviews, like, within a week of each other. And it's sort of uh, now all of a sudden it's like, well, what the fuck? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, usually that kind of uh, that kind of instant clickage usually, I don't know, in an ideal world, in the world I imagine sometimes, um, I would have thought that that meant uh, good things happening all around. But um, anyway, fingers still crossed. Hope everybody out there, uh, prayer warriors, kind of kicking in for me a bit. I will pay it back karmically and in any way I can. In addition to, you know, doing shows like this where we're basically just kind of being vulnerable and healing in front of everybody, I'm still uh, here to let everybody know that you're not alone and that you have strength within and uh, that mornings are hard. And I swear, that's that's got to be probably the one that I think if I were going to get one of these tattooed on me. <laughs> mornings are hard. Uh, it's definitely a non-stop horror show, and I feel like that'll be the true indicator of when things are better is when I start waking up and it's just kind of like that instant like, oh, man, it's great to be alive. Oh, man, there's nothing like weighing down on me. I don't feel like the world is about to come to an end or at least just my world, you know. Um, so, you know, fingers crossed for that day. But, um, and I think this is all also the, just the continuing symptoms of the dissociation of displacement, feeling displaced, though, um, at least at the moment in a, sp- in a spot and situation that I'm very grateful to have the option for. I've been uh, speaking with some friends recently, and, you know, there's a fair amount of shame when I have to admit that I'm, you know, living with my parents for the time being, and a lot of people are 
in my age range or in a little older who are saying things like, man, dude, you're lucky you have that because I wish I could run home uh, with some of the stuff I'm dealing with. But a lot of folks don't have their parents. I don't have my father anymore. Um, he passed away in 2015. But uh, my stepdad has always treated me like I was his son, so it's never felt like I don't have at least a father figure. But it's tough, you know, and, and I do. There is... Uh, I don't know if it's sort of like, you know, your empathy control is a little damaged in dealing with recovering from a situation like this. And so I find myself very susceptible to emotional reactions to not only things on TV that maybe shouldn't have as much emotional sway as they do, but hearing other people's hardships. And um, there's so many people right now in varying degrees and levels of hardship it's sort of a, a situation of not necessarily misery-loving company, but there's a certain camaraderie that comes from being in the struggle and that the struggle takes different forms for everybody. So I hope in some way this show is serving as a little bit of that to folks who are adrift and searching. I, you know, I don't know that it'll ever be something that folks are comfortable you know, admitting almost like in a 12-step program, you have to admit you've got something going on, whatever it might be. And especially, you know, like today I was out walking with my stepdad and a group of neighbors that do our morning walks. And we were sort of discussing things like, you know, what is happiness? What, what would denote success? And... I think somewhere in that conversation, uh, the one neighbor, this guy Fred, who's probably the most positive, happiest type of person I've ever met. You know, it's and in some ways, I think in the grand scheme of things, in the you know, in the God moves in mysterious ways kind of things, and the in the energies of the universe don't overtly explain their motives kind of way that I needed to be around somebody with that kind of positivity in my current state. Like, I almost feel like, in a way, living with my parents here in Delaware is almost like being in one of those rehab facilities for a couple months, except that it's not sitting around in group therapy, and it's not costing me an arm and a leg. It's, in fact, saving my ass completely. But, um, you know, having somebody who's really got this kind of perspective. Now, it's interesting because I've mentioned a couple times now the peer group that I'm surrounded by here is all folks who are a lot older than me, people who are retired, people who don't need to feel any sense of needing to justify or explain how open and free the schedule of their days are. And in some ways, I... I think in the post-pandemic world, one of the things that's interesting is that the working world has taken on such a different look. And again, for as desperate as I feel, and as much as I feel like I'm struggling, I at least have a few revenue streams. They're, I guess the word would be sort of underemployed uh, level. Like, you know, they, like I can't count on any of them by themselves to be enough to live at the level I had been living. 
And even with the two or three of them combined right now, it's barely helping me keep my head above water, like the living situation I had been in. I was just sort of like, all right, that's I'm at capacity. Like I can just afford this place and the um, utilities and be able to buy myself some food. So in this regrouping here, I'm at least building up and saving a little bit so that I can, you know, bounce back out again. But it's really going to take getting a steady income on the level of what I was getting when I had my full-time job in the corporate world. But by that same token, the advent of the internet, there's, and there's, I mean, so many channels and people out there showing the ways to use the internet. Like, they, I almost feel like I would much rather, at this point, figure that out than necessarily have to go someplace every day. I mean, I do miss the, the, the social interaction of having a place to go, the routine of knowing, oh, this is the place I go for lunch every day. These are the people I say hi to. And then even having those moments where you're grabbing coffee, you know, it's interesting. It's, some, it's, it's almost like in ways some of the other podcasts I'm doing right now, like uh, the 15 minutes of movie memory madness. I don't know if anybody's checking that out, but please do. Uh, it's sort of like recreating that water cooler conversation. It's just that it's me having it by myself, very much like having this NA meeting <laughs> sharing by myself on this podcast. But I kind of am finding a little bit of a uh, sense of getting into the groove in this new era of podcasting for me. I think one of the things that I didn't like about the old me was that I always felt like I wasn't enough to be able to have any kind of endeavor be successful. That if I was going to do podcasting, if I was going to be doing anything in the sort of media, putting myself out there arena, it required at least one co-host, if not two. It required other people helping do some of the lifting. I just had a conference the other night with a friend of mine about how to because this is what she does. This is She's a coach who, who helps people launch and grow and monetize their podcasts and trying to figure out, you know, either what I've been doing wrong or what I could be doing better, how to better position my efforts and how to focus, what to focus on, you know. And part of the reason I was originally doing any of this was because while I had that full-time job, I needed something to alleviate and satisfy the need to do something creative and I always felt even though I'm living through the era of DIY and during that time a lot of the you know price point barriers of being able to create content and make films and make projects happen were disappearing you know just being able to buy a camera that has professional level output the pr uh, prevalence of software ranging from you know free to cheap to moderately priced to expensive but they're all options and if you're willing to learn now it's interesting like I'm all about being able to learn how to use those softwares I've been really 
becoming a self-study in After Effects in the last couple of years and getting into doing 2D and 3D animation so I can keep elevating the level of the things that I do. But then by that same token, as I'm sitting here going, oh, it's easy if you just were willing to learn designing a website, stuff like that still a little bit beyond my reach. I mean, I know there are templates, but even when I sit down and try to use the templates with GoDaddy, it's kind of like, fuck, man, I don't know why, but it's like so daunting that it like brings me screeching to a halt where I can turn around and create a new podcast and build a show open and do that like in a day, have a couple episodes recorded, have at least one of them edited and ready to go. And uh, so it's, it's, it is definitely... It's, it's a couple of things. It's the willingness and it's the comfort zone, you know, and I think for the last 20 years, I've been honing my skills in that arena, in the creation, in the production, in the post-production and the web and coding stuff obviously is still a huge blind spot. So that's where I'll have to, as a producer, putting on my producer hat, realize that that's one of my limitations and that's where I would need to go for collaboration. But I don't necessarily need to do that, especially... I feel like I've been watching YouTube a lot more than I ever have before, and I tell myself it's professional research and that that justifies any of the time going into it. If only I could figure out a way to write that time off (laughs) tax-wise, but I, I don't know. Maybe that's pushing the envelope a little bit. But in, in doing so, I've been discovering a lot of people who are on these journeys as the solo voice of their show. Not everybody's even doing it on camera. You know, one of my favorite shows is the Critical Drinkers uh, episodes, and it's faceless for the most part, you know, and the edit is all utilizing movie trailers and footage from the movies he's talking about. Every once in a while, he'll throw a still of himself in there, but it's usually for comedic effect. So it really does, uh, in my mind, it, it opened an opportunity and an, um, for me to, to really see that I could do this by myself. And, you know, the niche definitely still having to do with being a fan of films and coming at everything from a fandom perspective. I feel like there's a lot of space out there now where it, a lot of people are getting very political and maybe even being controversial in that regard is a way to get a big following and if part of the motivation is to try to get a big enough following to monetize and be able to alleviate some of the financial concerns bringing this back to what I originally <laughs> the original reason I started talking about it uh, that might be something to consider but I don't I don't love the idea of alienating half of the potential audience by taking a stand on, oh, I'm left or I'm right or I'm centrist or and everybody else is crazy. You know, it's um, it's interesting that it is lucrative for the folks who have been able to establish themselves out there. But for for someone like me who would, I don't know, hope to write a book one day, hope to write and finally get to make a movie, maybe even launch a Netflix series or something like that, I want to be able to appeal to everybody out there I want there to be something for everyone Now I feel like There was something that was kind of Magical about that for me growing up That someone could make a movie And let's say it's about 
a futuristic theme park where dinosaurs are back, right? <laughs> you know, and that's that's what the like ninety percent of the movie's about. But maybe there's that like five to ten percent in there where they kind of touch on politics or they touch on people's political bent, and maybe you have two characters of opposing views debate things on screen a little bit, and maybe because it was framed in this really fantastical way, it was easier to sit there and just kind of let that wash over and let it just kind of be part of the background noise and not it wouldn't turn you off from ever watching any more movies in the franchise it wouldn't make you suddenly think that the filmmaker should be canceled or never be able to work again and uh, now when you I feel like a lot for especially for a lot of the folks out there when they make these controversial stands you're really kind of putting that flag in the ground and while for the most part they've been able to find their tribe and they've been able to garner the millions of subscribers and thousands of hours of view time on YouTube and able to monetize able to get sponsorships in fact that's the thing I find the most ironic is that there are at least some products willing to put their stake in the ground as well and you know either back a conservative YouTuber or back a, a liberal YouTuber but again it's 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 a lot of rolling the dice and maybe that's something I'm a little gun shy about having rolled the dice with my entire life and that's what I wound up getting into when I was talking about it with uh, with Fred today was you know he, he, he I think he came around saying something about like I was mentioning in the past when I was younger and had a much wider window ahead of me of time to be able to uh, recover from things and and sort of find my way. Uh, some of the advice when my boss gave me was that I should take a loan against my 401k, which was only, I don't know, maybe at that time only had 30, 40, maybe 50,000 in it. But he said, you know, take, take a loan out of your 401k, buy a fixer-upper down in Jersey City in an area that was sort of up and coming and becoming gentrified, spend your weekends fixing it up, and then flip it, and you'll make a bunch of money back, you'll be able to pay back the loan, and you might even make enough money to be able to do this again without having to keep any of the loan money. And, you know, you do that a couple times, that'll help you build some wealth, and you'll have a sense of achievement because you spent the time fixing these things up. And I remember looking at him like he had three heads and going, dude, are you fucking crazy? Like, what the hell? Where is this coming from? I mean, listen, yes, I have experience as an electrician. I have been on construction sites. I'm pretty handy around the house, you know, and everywhere I've lived. And even when I used to visit my grandma in Pennsylvania, may she rest in peace, I was always fixing things around the house. Uh, my stepdad's a contractor, so whenever he would be fixing things around the house, I could help him out too. So it's not like I don't know how to swing a hammer, you know. I could even wire up a house, really, if I needed to. But... The job I was doing was a video production job. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was a, I'm a, I'm a producer on a corporate communications team, uh, running a studio where we would do live programming for educational purposes. We would tape educational courses, and we would do interviews and create profile pieces. It was like, you know, I was, I was an in-house corporate, corporate propagandist. And I said, "What about that?" Says to you. That on my weekends, when I'm no longer being held 
to the fire for every momentary decision I make throughout the day, where I'm not being called out on the carpet for decisions other people made that I had nothing to do with, because trust me, corporate America's got a bit of a minefield going on in that regard. Just as I'm sure every industry does, I think workplace politics is something none of us are really ever prepared for until we're suddenly in the middle of it. And I know it's for me especially was one of the things that was the first shock to the system, leaving such a taste in your mouth that you're like, well, I'm getting paid a lot of money (laughs) as a young person. You're like, this is more money than I've ever made before, even when I was doing electrical work. So it's worth putting up with this shit, but it is shit to be put up with. And after so many years, you know, I know at one time, because it was a corporate job and I was someone who was a little bit more thinking I should probably be working at MTV or HBO or something like that, although I did hear MTV is more of a sweatshop than anybody knows, (laughs) I guess I'm kiboshing any possibility of working with them if are they even on the air anymore (laughs) i don't even know what they do now um in fact i think i just watched the panderverse episode of south park on my parents paramount plus account and it said it was produced by mtv entertainment so now are they somehow uh a subsidiary of Paramount and a subsidiary of Comedy Central. I mean, I don't even think Comedy Central is a thing anymore, really. I don't know, is really what I, I guess, for somebody who's a pop culture aficionado, I don't know. I think maybe I'm slowly transitioning from aficionado to historian. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm sort of like, all right, early 40s, looking back going, all right, guys, the 80s and 90s, this was it. We sort of peaked culturally. Everything since 2000, and clearly, I mean, I think one of the things I'm landing on and I bring up a lot in... Uh, the movie memory madness podcast is especially watching movies from the 80s and 90s and then trying to watch some newer stuff a huge distinction is how much the world changed after 9-11 and you know since 9-11 we've now had a first financial meltdown in 2008 we had the trump election in 2016 we had the pandemic starting in early 2020 we had the january 6th insurrection we've had so many things that were all in a category that would have been never even imagined in the 80s and 90s you know i think in the 80s and 90s there was so much of an attitude of like shit like that'll never happen (laughs) like an attack on american soil will not ever happen uh and people were very confident in saying things like that i remember even speaking to you know, friends of friends and relatives of friends who were either in the military or connected to people who were in the military. And they would even say, dude, we've got assets all around the world. We got so many people in so many places that we would know well before anything like that would ever happen. And we would we would stop it. There's no way that anything like that's ever going to happen. And, and now here we are, maybe even on the brink of World War Three. And uh, we've got some serious things that uh, we're looking down the barrel of and some of them being things could be happening on American soil. So you do get a sense of how different the world was. And so maybe if it's even just to kind of 
to, again, reiterate things that, you know, my therapist was saying, like, these are all big things. You got to worry about what, what you're in control of. You have to worry about what's affecting your life directly. And, you know, in this recovery effort, it's definitely got to be much more focused on getting back on track, getting getting my financial foundation, getting back to a steady enough stream of income to be able to not have to rely on my support system. I definitely need to also be able to pay them back, not just karmically, but uh, is even more than just a gesture, just to kind of for my own um, conscience and sense of being an adult, you know, and, and as a way of saying thank you. So, but these things all do kind of intertwine. I've mentioned a couple times in the last few episodes, you know, it's like the, the, the landscape for somebody looking for a job right now is pretty rough. Uh, you know, I did have the sort of kindness of strangers effect kick in with this recruiter on LinkedIn who responded to a uh, comment string that I was commenting in and he uh, helped me revise my resume. So this week I've been, you know, littering the world of job postings with my new resume and I've noticed, you know, on ZipRecruiter, one of the uh, one of the many sites out there that lists jobs, they will at least kind of keep you apprised of what happens like once you send your resume in, you know, it'll say, okay, your resume was received. We'll let you know when a recruit, you know, when the hiring manager takes a look at it and then they'll say like, hey, they looked at your resume today. That's a good sign. Well, there were two of them that I got multiple. No, hey, yours was looked at a second time. Yours was looked at a third time. Yours was looked at a fourth time. These are great signs. Okay, that was two days ago have not heard from either of these places. So today's agenda includes reaching out directly to them saying, hi, and I just turned in my application through ZipRecruiter and I just wanted to follow up and say, I'm really excited about the opportunity you have and I appreciate your consideration for me as a candidate. All this stuff that you're like, fuck. You know, as a kid, they made it seem like you get a job by being good at what you do. And that your work will stand for itself. And it's naive to think that politics and economics aren't coming into play these days. And so as much as those things are supposed to be these things that are too big, very much on the outside of what you can control, they, they affect your situation. So I don't know. Part of me is starting to think that the best hope for someone in my situation is to figure out how to use the internet to make some money, how to maybe get back into looking at this affiliate marketing and, and try to do it the right way. I'm a little pissed. I just started getting pretty good at creating content for my medium page. That would be like reviewing books that I just read. And I'm, I must've lost track of how, how long, like I joined Amazon's affiliate program. You get 180 days to make at least three, sales through links that you posted. And I definitely hadn't been putting the effort there. Uh, in fact, I got a little turned off to the whole affiliate marketing thing after the last sort of seminar and uh, try to get started situation I was in. Because again, it's like, you know, for 80 days, you're emailing uh, an email list every day. And getting nothing for it. I mean, now they even have programs that'll kind of like scrape the internet and send out millions of emails for you. So maybe it's worth using a tool like that. 
But, you know, this is also not the world. Just like when my boss was like, hey, dude, go fix up apartments and flip them. It's like, you're like, are you fucking kidding? Like, why can't... It's a little crappy to kind of think that the thing that you're good at or the thing that you want to do is just not something that there's availability of work to be able to viably do, you know? Because then what? You know, I've spent 20 years being that. I understand certain aspects of my personality and uh, the way I live need to change. But I wouldn't think it would be the thing that I have garnered skills, talents, and abilities and have experience and a portfolio of work to show for would be one of the things that you have to kind of shift. But So when all of these thoughts get really, really heavy, as promised, (laughs) this is definitely going to now shift gears into being a little bit of a music therapy episode. But it's all sort of in the same ballpark because... Not only is some of my podcasting efforts going into the realm of looking back at movies from the 80s and 90s and talking about what it was like, remembering what it was like to watch them for the first time, if anything sort of significant happened at that time in my life, and how, you know, we wind up attaching and hanging nostalgic bookmarks on things, sometimes subconsciously, you know, like the idea of movies like it's it's a lot easier to notice when you're in sort of recovering from a negative situation like this past relationship like one of the things that i had happen to me this week was uh as it was the halloween week i was trying to watch a few horror movies but i'm not you know so many of the news so much new stuff is like so heavily in the realm of Demons and Satanism It almost kind of is another one of these things That lends credence to the uh, Conspiracy theories about Satanic Hollywood It's like, geez, they're really just putting it all In our face all the time So I tend to gravitate back To a time where I, I really still Feel like all of pop culture Was a lot more innocent and a lot more Just about telling cool stories And And um, It didn't feel like it was grooming us for this type of, uh, except that we're, you know, the slaves of demons kind of future we've landed in. And I wound up watching the movie Phantoms, the Dean Koontz novel translation to film starring, you know, 90s Ben Affleck and Rose McGowan and the late, great Peter O'Toole. And... Almost without any ability to stop this from happening... I was flooded with the memory of, oh my God, in the early days of my last relationship, one of the things we used to do a lot were, was, uh, you know, meet at hotels on the weekends that she didn't have her kids, or if we were both at a conference that was sort of uh, within driving distance of both of our respective locales at the time, sometimes we would extend that weekend and take a couple days off and, you know, go to a hotel and just hang out and so one of the last times we did that when we got to the hotel uh phantoms was on the one cable network that was available i think it might have been before i was traveling with a fire stick at all times because now i like to be able to control the and be able to still watch what i was watching at home i don't have to stop a binge because i'm staying at a hotel And so, you know, it was the billionth time. I mean, a lot of these movies, especially the ones from the 90s, I've seen so many times. But 
it was maybe, I don't think my ex had seen it. And so I was like, oh, man, this movie's awesome. So we watched Phantoms. And I just couldn't, you know, it all came flooding back. It was like somebody had kicked the door down. Like I could even picture the hotel room, picture the way we were laying in the bed watching it. You know, of course, we... I think stopped and had sex in the middle of the movie, you know, sort of like stuff like that. And, and I was really flooded with this heavy, sad feeling. And I feel like that's been happening a lot for as much as I know. Oh, come on, dude. Really? Fucking kidding me. I can't get away from this shit. I cannot get away from this shit. It's almost like they see me recording something and say, hey, how much noise can I fucking possibly make? (laughs) If you check out the first episode of movie, uh, 15 minutes of movie memory madness, there's there's an awful lot of me griping about the fact that I chose to record in a park and it happened to be the same day these guys were doing construction on a house. And I'm like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Maybe the universe is trying to tell me you should be focusing on something else right now. But I don't know. I think there's a lot of value into doing these episodes, especially now, to still be able to be producing content in the midst of this malaise and disarray. And, um, you know, because it all, it's all about trying to survive and recover. All right, dude, fuck you. You don't need to be blowing the goddamn driveway. I hate this fucking guy. <laughs> like, I'm just watching this asshole. <laughs> it's my fault. I'm I'm on the front porch today. I don't know what I was thinking. Oh, maybe that it was quiet out here, and it was until this shit started. But I digress. So... Not only have I been watching movies from the 90s, but I very recently discovered, and I'm shocked. In fact, I even posted it to Facebook. Anybody who follows me on Facebook probably saw it. But I cannot believe that before this week, (laughs) one of the musical therapies I discovered, well, I mean... I don't know. When I was thinking for the last two entries that I wanted to do a music therapy episode, there was something about how certain bands, again, I know the last time it was all about the music I was listening to in college and having these sort of flooding of memories, but not actual college memories, more of like emotional memories, like the emotional feeling. And I don't even know if emotional is the correct word. It's sort of... um, Kind of like in the same way the word limerence describes the happy infatuation of first, you know, early days of new romance. There's a, oh, wait, you know what? I actually did see a post about this. Shit. I don't even remember. It wasn't, I didn't save it and I didn't, I didn't message it to myself, but someone said, if you get goosebumps or the hairs on your arms and the back of your neck stand up when you hear a song that you like, this is actually a psychological phenomenon. And, oh, man, I forget. Somethingness. Something starting with an S. Frin, firmness? Frin, fringe, fridginess? Fringeness? Something like that. I'll have to look it up. That sounds ridiculous. That's not right. But there's so there is actually a term for this. And apparently it's not something that happens to everyone, that not everybody has that kind of an actual physiological tied to emotion reaction to music. And for those folks, I actually do feel pretty badly. And I apologize in general for you not uh, having 
an experience as some of the rest of us have with music. And I think it could possibly happen with all forms of art, and that's why creative things can be therapeutic. And I think for me, one of those things used to be and still is at times movies, it's just that I've got so many, such an array of different emotional um you know, I'll call them nostalgic bookmarks tied to these movies. It's a little bit different. The music, though, I, I've been finding has a similar similar effect. And one of the uh, one of the bands that I discovered in the last five years, and I especially discovered them. And I'm not saying discovered like nobody else knew about them. I'm late to the table with a lot of these. But there was a band called The Birthday Massacre. And I think I might have started to really first become aware of them in like 2018. Uh, Maybe even earlier, 2017 maybe. It was definitely during the first phase of my audio drama Tangent City. That, That was a huge bookmark achievement and tragedy <laughs> because of the way it's sort of like Twin Peaks after its second season canceled with a whole lot of story left up in the air. Tangent City was sort of brought to its knees by a huge schism, catastrophic falling out of creative partnerships with my first podcasting uh, endeavor. Uh, well, not first, but the first since breaking back away from the group I was working with in Chicago. And... Um, And it's interesting because that's another thing my relationship cost me because my creative partner, I don't know if there was some unspoken, you know, um, emotional, romantic wish attachment there, but she seems to be very pissed off that I suddenly had a relationship taking up some of my attention and energy. And I feel like regardless of what the actual specifics were of what happened when this endeavor this podcasting thing sort of fell apart the fact that she threw the relationship in my face during some of the arguments really kind of betrayed that there was a little bit more about that than it was about anything else and uh she was a bit of a bully this former creative partner and was very very mouthy about threatening to go legal to get to bring Lawyers into it and to be litigious about things and she was notorious for being that sort of a bully with her kids school and I just didn't have the emotional strength to which I, is something I'm, I'm realizing that I've shied away from being a big boy about things for a while now I think at this point I'm in one of these situations where I don't have any choice but to face things head on and I, maybe that's another one of the ways that in some twisted way of reframing this, um, going through all this was good for me. I can only hope that it means that once I'm on the other side of it, the whatever remaining decades of my life, knock on wood that it's decades and not years or months, will be much more grounded, founded, and secure, and I'll be able to thank this time of turmoil for that level of strength time of turmoil good name for a chapter of a book in any case 
During that time, I, I came across this band called The Birthday Massacre, and they have a song called One, which is so epic, so epic. In its simplicity, though, too, you know, and f it's funny, I, I watched a YouTube video of a, um, a vocalist and vocal coach who one of the things she does is she takes suggestions from folks, I guess, from Patreon supporters for songs that they want her to do reaction videos to. And when she was reacting to one, she mentioned that it's very simple, straightforward in its structure. But it's also beautifully melodic. It, like it works. You know, it's one of these things that you could tell why why it's a hit. It's like it's a song. Like for me, you get the goosebumps. I and every time I listen to it, and I've I am somebody who will overplay a song. I will build a playlist on Spotify and in the in the days gone by on my iPod Touch that I recently discovered and have been listening to and there's an entire playlist built around this song one being in it multiple times and it's the same the same goosebumps the same hair standing up on the back of my neck every time I listen to it as it was the first time and the first time uh, it, I, I actually heard it for the first time watching the music video and the music video, it's so, I don't even know how to describe why I think it's so cool. And I think this, um, this woman who is doing the React video, I'll, I'll find it and link it in the show notes. Or I'll post it on, on the Hollow Nine Facebook page or something. She described it as, the, the video itself, it's, it harkens back maybe, I think, for me to the early days of like MTV. Now, this is a Canadian band, so probably Much Music would be a better uh, analogy. And man, Much Music was such a kick-ass music station, just as an aside here. When I was in high school, the last four to five years of the 90s, MTV had already shifted into being much more game showy, gimmicky, talk showy, not even showing music videos for the most part. And then all of a sudden, uh, our cable service, which I think at the time was Optimum TV, I think eventually they became Verizon Fios, they expanded their, uh, their offerings, the menu of channels, and one of them was this channel called Much Music. And it was basically Canada's MTV. But it was about stylistically five to ten years behind what MTV had become. Eventually much music went in the same direction as the is why I'm saying that. I don't mean to say that they were behind the times, but it definitely seemed like the art the artistic community and the sort of uh, music industry of Canada was still being true to what MTV felt like in the 80s and early 90s. All music videos, all about, you know, live performances, all about music and not TV shows and game shows and shit. So much music appears on the scene and it was just ugh, so awesome. That's where I discovered bands like I Mother Earth and, uh, Gob and uh, I'm trying to think of who else was like a really big one. Oh, there was a band called Sun S O N, and uh, I remember I saw one of their videos once and never saw it again. And then for over a decade, I couldn't even find it on the internet. And somehow, recently, probably around the same time that I discovered the Birthday Massacre, I was able to track down 
their like a, a website that kind of had all their information. This band Sun and the song called "Why Don't You Pick Up the Phone." Was uh, is now you can find it on YouTube. It's amazing how these things sort of come full circle. But for the longest time, they were just kind of like these things that were lost to me, but would still replay in the back of my mind every once in a while. And there was nothing more frustrating than being there, sitting around, hearing like a riff or one or two lines of lyrics and kind of wishing you could play out the rest. Like I almost was like, you know... I know that you can hip, be hypnotized and have more access to memories than your conscious mind is able to access. Like someone could hypnotize you and you'd be able to re you'd be able to recall the entire song if you had sit, sat there and seen it once, you know. So in any case, all that to say is that this music video by The Birthday Massacre for the song One had that feeling to it, even though it was produced in like the 2010s, somewhere in the 20-teens, you know? And it's, it's basically like we're in an empty nightclub. It's like, you know, before the club is open. It's kind of like during the day. And the band is on stage. Maybe they're doing dress rehearsal for a performance that night and their sound engineer goes hey you guys want to run through one and it's funny because like he's just saying like almost like oh yeah we all just got here you know and someone's like hey you guys want to do a song and and but he goes you want to run through one and you don't realize that one being the title of the song they're gonna do and they they're like yeah sure and they kick into it and Oh man, everything from the first opening keyboard riff to the way the rest of the band comes in and then Chibi, I forget what the rest of her name is, I'll look that up. These are all these things I should know, but I know that the singer's name is Chibi and the main guitar player's name is Rainbow, but they do have actual names. Um, when she starts singing, it's like this really like sultry, like deeper register, gothy kind of... Ugh, crooning And It reminded me too Of when I was in my bands in college And we'd be in the rehearsal room You know the musicians union on my campus There was um it was interesting. There was sort of like a row of houses, like these are like bungalow style houses that were senior housing. So only seniors could live there. And they were these, I think it was like a suite kind of like it was like four bedrooms with a living room type thing and a kitchenette. Uh, but all the other campuses, all the other dorm buildings on the campus for each floor would have a lounge, which was just like a big open space. Usually there were a couple computers in there, but it was supposed to be so that if you needed to go somewhere and you couldn't be in your room for whatever reason, you could go and use this space. And before I had gotten to the college, the musicians union had negotiated to having the lounge of these senior houses, which one of these bungalow houses was just an empty giant living room and a kitchenette and a bathroom. And that was supposed to be the lounge for that row of houses. And so the musicians union had made some kind of a deal with them. And that was our rehearsal space. And we had, you know, within loud hours. I think we had to be done by 10 o'clock every night um, so that we weren't keeping up the neighbors. But, you know, I remember being in that room and it was so different when you were rehearsing 
with your band than it was when you were performing, but you would rehearse and rehearse and rehearse so that when you got on the stage, even though it felt different, you still like knew the song so well that you didn't have to worry about playing it. And I think, you know, college for me was definitely, I got to live out a bit of that fantasy life of being a rock star because I was always in bands. There was only one year where even if I wasn't in a, a band that was my band, I played with a couple tribute bands, which were sort of what I used to refer to as super bands. It was sort of all, all the musicians from the different bands would come together and collaborate to do like we did a U2 tribute show. Um, we did a Pearl Jam tribute show. I wasn't too keen on them doing the Pink Floyd tribute show, so I didn't participate in that one. But my friend AJ was like really came out of nowhere. AJ Rendo, <laughs> he did um, Comfortably Numb. And I was like, holy shit, man, that was really good. Um, but I had a band freshman year and then I had a band junior and senior year two different bands the band freshman year was much more in the like alice in chains influenced alternative rock kind of uh genre and we were the only band of that kind on campus this you got a kind of picture this was a small liberal arts school in chestertown maryland which is basically kind of like a strip mall some rural residential houses and this college all along in like on the one or two stoplights of a highway that was just cutting through this area of Maryland and um, a lot of the music on campus was very folky this was in uh, you know the Dave Matthews band era where basically everybody was listening to Dave Matthews band and you were really kind of not cool if you weren't. <laughs> and, and then I show up and I'm like, you know, they used to call me Scary Dave because I was this dude who showed up freshman year with, you know, hair halfway down my back, wearing a wallet chain and, you know, rings with skulls on them and wanting to play Metallica. But there were plenty of people who went to the school who liked Metallica and liked Alice in Chains. So we were sort of like a little bit of a breath of fresh air. Um... And one of the presidents of the Musicians Union, this guy Jordan Page, who you can still find him, he's still making music, go look him up online. Um, he really liked us, and I think he pushed for us to perform a lot. Um, man, that was such a that was such a fun that was such a fun time because of that. In any case, this music video, to get back to, again, the birthday massacre, because it's all about music therapy, guys. Uh, obviously, you can tell it's there's something about listening to music that reminds you of what it was like to be a musician that is definitely it's it's you know for me a lot of this is a double-edged sword the nostalgia effect there's a certain amount that goes man i really wish i maybe had put more energy into that after college you know maybe i shouldn't have given up on that and i think that's probably one of my shortcomings in looking back on things and not as no, seriously nowhere near as detrimental as the risking my entire life for somebody who turned out to be a narcissist and uh, abusive and uh, left me kind of as broken as they possibly could. But, uh, you know, I, there are times where I wish I had stuck with it. And, and I do see posts on Facebook of people who were in other bands like there was a band on our campus called Ghost Box they were they were the big the big band on campus very um jammy 
you know, uh, the bass player, Mike Pacino, played an upright bass as well as an electric bass. And he was like, and so I feel like that's, you know, that's a real bass player. You know, like I play electric bass and I, and, and poorly at that. I mean, I was, you know, novice level. I've been playing for a long time. You know, I played my entire time in high school. I was going and taking lessons. And so it's not like I didn't know how to play, but definitely when I got to college, my freshman year, my roommate was this guy, Alan, who was a really, really awesome guitar player. And I became a better musician from playing with him. So all this comes flooding back as I start watching this music video for this band, because they're kind of they're doing this dress rehearsal on a stage and it's funny because the woman who was doing the react video she goes yeah you know the stage kind of almost looks like a diorama it's got like a it's got like a sort of foil tinselly kind of backdrop and it's got lights hanging on it it almost looks like something somebody would make for like an art school project and i i don't know if i necessarily agree with that i felt like yeah that looks like your typical uh, band stage at a club that is sort of like a half bar, half restaurant, half music venue. But the way it's filmed also is very, there's a cinematic quality. In fact, there's this one shot. I mean, we're cutting from all the different band members as they all kind of come in for their parts, right? You know, like it starts with the keyboards, then. Uh, like the guitars and drums all coming at the same time. Then the music, then the the singer who's kind of doing this, you know, twin peaksy kind of dance moves, like very kind of seductive, um, gothy uh, stuff comes, and she starts singing. And so we've kind of been painting the stage a little bit, and then all of a sudden we cut to the sound engineer, and the camera's slowly pulling back, and there's something about the way that that, that framing and him kind of doing his thing doesn't even look up the band. He, he adjusts one knob while he's still listening on the headphones, and it's like, that felt like a movie. For some reason, that shot always stuck out to me very much. And then we cut back to over his shoulder looking at the band, and we're watching them all perform once, and then we're back into the close-ups of everybody. And at one point, you know, they're playing, and I think after, you know, the first two verses, when it goes into sort of guitar solo land, the singer, you know, she kind of is in this, like, kind of, like, pose as she lets the last notes ring out, and then she kind of comes to and turns around and goes over to the drummer and is talking to the drummer, and he doesn't stop. Like, the song doesn't stop, and that is very, something that would happen during not only rehearsals, but definitely on stage. Like, if you were playing at, like, a big outdoor venue and, like, something happened, like, hey, we need to extend this part, you know, put another fill in here or something, like, you, you would talk and you would have these audibles right like almost like a football team in the middle of a song and it would just work and like when you were really on like i man one of the last shows we played my senior year it was funny my band junior and senior year was a little bit closer to the dave matthewsy jam band kind of thing it was sort of like we had an electric guitar player the main acoustic guitar player songwriter was a guy named max orsini i was the bass player uh, and vocalist as well and then we had a drummer who would play both regular uh, um, acoustic drums and electric drums and probably the last two or three weeks of the semester we had a big basement show in one of the dorms. We had a smaller acoustic show at a uh, sort of cafe downtown. And then we had a very formal 
three-song performance at a sort of, like, international um, student's kind of, like, recital. (laughs) And because Max was uh, living in the international dorm and was, I guess, considered an international student, um, we got to perform there. I mean, and that was more like, you know, he wore a tux. Yeah, I still wore my leather pants. <laughs> but he wore a tux. And so we had sort of a, a, a more like three final shows. But I remember, like, at that point, we were so, you know, in the zone. There was one we were performing a cover of Say It Ain't So... By uh, by Weezer And my bass pedal Had come unplugged And it was sort of like You could kind of For suddenly all of a sudden During during the guitar solo part The bass pedal Or the bass dropped out a lot Because I was using a distortion And overdrive pedal And I, I remember like We didn't stop the song I, I, I wasn't going to do that But my friend Megan was very close in the front row. This was also the show where somebody threw underwear on the stage up at me, which was awesome. I was like, thank God that happened at some point in my life. It wasn't this girl, Megan. But anyway, I saw Megan, and she's dancing and dancing. I'm like, Megan, Megan. And she finally looked. I'm like, you see that right there? Plug that in. Like, somehow it got kicked out of the wall or something, you know? Like, that was a very intimate show. Like, it was very, like, the, the audience was very close to the band. And I'm like, that right there. And she's seeing what I'm talking about, and she's like, she's like, you want me to plug this in? I'm like, yes, plug it in. And it all happened right in enough time so that as soon as she plugged it in, I stepped on the pedal because it came back to life. And then I kind of went into, like, the part that I was supposed to play. And it was almost like the song grew. Like, it kind of had this, like, the alien burst out of its stomach moment. And that all comes flooding back when I see in this music video the the singer go back to the drummer and have like this kind of quick mid-song conference with him but at the same time the guitar players are having their solos and then she comes back and starts singing again and after she sings the last verse they kind of pan around the whole band again and you can see there there are some of them in their faces like the bass player does this thing where he just kind of like leans back and is looking up and you can see it's like he's being moved by the music and then they cut to the keyboard player and he even is doing this thing where he's having the same thing happen and he's kind of got like he's patting his chest and and then the whole song ends and then they cut back to the uh the sound engineer and he just kind of gives him the thumbs up like sounds great and i'm like fuck you know like there's this whole huge flashback of like this is like a quintessential moment for a band doing the dress rehearsal sound check where the sound and the music and everything gelled so much that now this is it this is your perfect performance of that song and maybe the only person who was there to see it was the sound engineer and the woman who is doing the react video to it she said like there's something about the whole atmosphere of this video that's almost like this is something private this is almost like it's something just for them but we're being allowed to see it and i think that adds to kind of the i don't know like the alluring element of of this song and this particular video and it could be why the video resonates so well with me so that is one that's definitely in the therapeutic department i kind of went on a little bit of a because recently i mean i I already had a, a sense of a handful of songs of this band like they have i think four or five maybe they even have eight full albums at this point um 
and my iPod Touch has a, a, a playlist that has songs from like like two or three songs from each of their albums, and it really kind of they have a couple different sounds in their in their catalog. So if you look go on YouTube, there's a sort of a, a huge playlist that goes through I think all of their albums and you can hear these kind of like dips where it's like okay everything there's a lot of stuff that sounds like the song I was just talking about the song one and then there's other songs where it's like I don't know what you're trying to do maybe you're trying to go a little darker or something and I don't know that it necessarily is working as well as the sort of I don't even know how to describe what what area one falls into but more of like the sort of Pop, not top 40 because it's still kind of in this like gothy goth rock realm kind of almost like a typo negative but a little bit lighter um, kind of arena and so what I would do is my I would I would gravitate more towards the songs that sounded like that so I had playlists with some some selections from all their albums but then because I was listening to this like mega mix on YouTube, I found more songs that fit into that mold that fit that side of their repertoire. And so I went on Spotify and made myself a new playlist, including some new songs. And so for, I don't know, like almost two weeks, I was sort of like just the, my go-to was listening to that whole playlist over and over and over again. And it would help, but there would also be times where it would kind of pull out, like, what I would call sort of like the relief cry. Like, you know, and this is funny, is something that my sister texted to me one day that uh, there's a psychologist that said, you know, even though we're on a journey to heal from these things and moving past them is an important thing, there's also something detrimental about suppressing too much and if you have tears that need to come out by forcing yourself to keep them in you could wind up doing more damage than you realize or more damage period that you didn't think you were doing like it's it's not all about just forcing yourself to kind of not feel things and so there has to be an appropriate time of Letting those tears out, you know, and of crying about things when you need to. And some, sometimes the music therapy is not only going for those moments where your hair is standing up on your arms and the back of your neck and the goosebumps are coming out, but it's also like feeling the feeling of that happy or that relief crying. So not only was that doing it, but then I wound up... Um, you know, as we're in the fall season, we're getting into Halloween. I was remembering, um, I watched both the Blair Witch Project and Book of Shadows Blair Witch 2, which I was a huge fan of. I was more of a fan of the sequel when it was in the theaters than I was of the first movie. But the first movie has definitely grown on me in the last several years, for sure. And um, there was a song by Poe on the soundtrack of Blair Witch 2 called Haunted. Now, for folks who know me, uh, one of my favorite books in the world of all time is House of Leaves by Mark Z. Danielewski. 
I advise everybody out there to buy a copy of that and try reading it at once. Just force yourself to get through. There's like a little bit of a slow burn at the beginning, the first 50 pages or so. Uh, usually people have to kind of force themselves through, but it's worth it, man. That book is an experience and a half and will blow your mind. And it's kind of maybe one of the last moments of brilliance from the early 2000s in, in the literary world for me. And Mark Zanaluski's, Zanaluski's sister is the artist Poe. And one of her albums, I think it's the Angry John, the album with Angry Johnny on it, and also has Haunted on it. Um, it is actually a musical compendium to the book House of Leaves. And in fact, in the, in the song Haunted, there's a lyric which she says in this house of leaves we play and it's directly talking about the book and if you read the book it definitely will tickle you pink for sure in any case um in pulling you know searching for poe and pulling angry johnny and haunted onto a playlist also uh uh man i forget what the name of the band is, but there's this band that did a bunch of songs in the Alan Wake video game, which was, the video game itself is an homage to Twin Peaks, and I, the last book I just read, or I just finished reading this week, actually, was a book called Reflections, The Oral History of Twin Peaks by Brad Dukes, which is a collection of interviews he was able to conduct from 2011 to 2014, so this is just about the first two seasons of the show and the film Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me. Uh, it was done before the third season aired on Showtime in 2018. And so I was kind of in the mood to listen to some Twin Peaksy type stuff, which also led in the search for the songs by, uh, it's Prisoners of the Fall, I think is the name of the band. I wound up um, pulling the song Sour Times by Portishead. No, no, it wasn't Sour Times. It was Rude because on a channel I follow on Instagram called Puddle of Grunge, they had posted portions of that song being performed live. And that was another band strictly from the mid-90s. They, when they came on the scene, I mean, I only remember on MTV, they would, you know, they would be kind of like doing these sort of rundowns of like, MTV, you know, now playing, you know, new artists like Portishead. And I would just cut to like a quick um, moment from the uh, from the chorus where she's like, and nobody loves me. It's true. But like that was that was it. You know, I got that little taste and I didn't from that. I don't know. At the time, I think I was a little bit more musically ignorant and I wasn't as open to new things. And it's amazing how going through trauma and going through adult life makes you open up to new new things. And so I pulled Sour Times, Portishead. I, there is a cover that I used to listen to of Sour Times by a metal band, which I thought was a pretty cool translation of the song, but the, the original is still really friggin' awesome. In fact, you know, after seeing this piece of road, I was like, oh, let me pull that onto this playlist, and I was this was my reading the Twin Peaks book playlist. And then I decided, yeah, you know, let me check out the rest of this Portishead album. So this is going all the way back to what I posted on Facebook, right? And the album is called Dummy. And I listened to it from beginning to end. And I was floored. Oh, this, you got to be fucking kidding me. Really? Really, dude? Goddamn 
dildo. <laughs> you motherfucker, get off the block. Jesus, that was terrible. Oh my god, sorry folks for the beeping. <laughs> oh my fucking Christ, he's going next door now. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Anyway, um, so I, I mean, this, this album, Porter's Head Dummy, holy shit, it is like a film noir melodrama detective story. It, and again, I think this is a, it needed to come with age. The ability to appreciate this album And it's funny, so I, I posted on Facebook How in the hell am I just discovering Portishead And how have I never listened to Dummy in its entirety before And the number of people that were just flat out shocked by this I guess because of my Such a wide breadth of things that I am a fan of And it's not, and I'm, I, you know, I didn't think there was anything Odd about being the kind of fan that wants to know everything about a band, you know, and clearly in, in my earlier days, I was better at that than I was when I discovered the birthday massacre. But, <laughs> um, you know, Portis Head just kind of flew under my radar. And so there were people that, like, when I was like, you know, how am I just discovering this? And they're just, they're, they're like, one were like, what? With like four question marks and two exclamation points. And, you know, uh, a friend of, uh, of the girl I was dating in my high school years, her comment was like, how is that possible? And other people were like, all right, idiot, now go check out Mazzy Star in case you missed that one too. And I was like, yeah, trust me. I know Mazzy Star. I'm good on that. But man, and um, this one friend who's like strictly a Facebook friend, we don't know each other in real life, but you know, there are people that pop up in your people you may know and they seem interesting. So you click friend request and then they accept and you're like, oh wow, you know, I guess whatever I've got on my page was intriguing enough for them to feel like, yeah, let me, let me accept that. And, and then you know, time goes by and you barely interact. But when I posted that, how have I not listened to Dumb? My mind is blown. That's what is mind blown that I'm just discovering Portishead. And how have I never listened to Dummy in its entirety before? And she was like, such a fucking good album. And I was like, yeah, I am like obsessed. I think for the last three days now, I've been listening to it from beginning to end while I'm reading my Twin Peaks book. And it is hypnotic. It is. And, and it has been sort of the first, you know, obviously Sour Times is a instant, like, I feel like I'm in high school again, and I'm remembering seeing the commercials for it on MTV, and, and I'm trying to remember, like, it reminds me of the people who were listening to Portishead at that time, and how I was sort of not really in those circles, and it's interesting how that comes into play when you're younger and... You know, maybe you don't even really have enough of a justifiable foundation for some of the opinions you're holding. Um, we see it today. We call them the entitled kids or the millennials, the ones that ruined everything, because they, it seems like they're, they're putting these flags in the ground for almost no reason other than just to do it and be in your face about it. And for some reason, I felt like I was just not on the wavelength of the folks who were listening to Portishead 
when it was new but i'm certainly there now and oh my god i'm gonna start going into some of their other albums as well and just kind of really continue to acquaint myself with them but the sound i almost don't want to because what I get out of listening to Dummy in its entirety, it's like it almost makes me want to sit there and have it playing on repeat and write a short play or uh, start writing a novel, you know, or outlining a novel, something, because the feel of it is, oh, it's almost indescribable. I'm having trouble describing what about it I like. It's definitely this kind of slow groove you know, noiry, jazzy, but with like almost haunting vocals, and and I think too it it comes back to something I say a lot about music and the pop culture and how when you're young you hear things being sung about, especially when it comes to relationships, and you you know you get it, you get what they're saying. It's like probably the same with poetry too, like you know. You, you understand what they mean when they say rage against the dying of the light, but until you've had friends pass away or if you've looked down the barrel of some kind of medical um, quandary, you don't really realize what rage against the dying of the light means. It's the same when you're listening to, you know, musicians like talking about love, talking about pain, talking about loss and... I don't wish it upon anybody to have to experience these things, but when you have something like this musical expression of somebody who's gone through something you now are familiar with and they have this way of turning it into a bit of a fantasy and a fairy tale and you kind of can remove yourself from it and just look at it as part of the sort of poetry of life, you know, damn, I don't know what could be more therapeutic about music than that. So, you know... For someone who spent most of their youth being strictly in the world of Metallica and Alice in Chains and Soundgarden and Pearl Jam, um, Pearl Jam probably had hints of things like this. They definitely had an emotional spectrum, I think, that was a little bit more served by the different styles of music they were doing. Um, You know, Metallica obviously had a couple slow songs, but it was all very much very aggressive. There was a lot of, it was just a lot of energy. And, you know, maybe that's just not what life is calling for for me right now. Maybe that's why it's so therapeutic. But holy shit, Dummy by Portishead. Really, really fucking great stuff. In any case, I think, uh, thank God I was able to get some of the music therapy stuff in there. <laughs> after after uh, starting off much in the same vein. But, um, you know... It's going to be these kind of things that are allowing me to continue hanging on through all this. I mean, I honestly expected there to be some kind of movement on finding a new job and being able to not have to burden my parents anymore by living with them. Um, Before now, I kind of saw coming down here as like a one or two month you know, blip on the radar. We're starting to get into the month three here, but at least I've had the couple of interviews and then I had another company from Maryland reach out and ask if I would be interested in relocating for a job opening they had. And I said, sure, because I, and I, I must, it must be one of the several that I've applied to through ZipRecruiter or something. Cause I, I didn't recognize the company name right away. But um, 
you know, they were like, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that you were open to that because it's going to be driving around Virginia and Maryland and D.C. and a little bit into Delaware to do video shoots. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I, I used to live in Virginia. I still have family there. And um, it's and that's probably that's the reason I applied is because, you know, I am I'm open and even thinking it, relocation is probably the best idea for me right now. And they're like, all right, great. So I'll note that down and I'll put it in with your application. And it's been about a week and a half since I've heard from them. I checked in with them last week at the end of the week, and they said that the person doing the reviewing of applications and hiring was super busy and hasn't even been able to look at any of the applications they got in yet. Which is a, I guess, a sort of typical type of thing that happens. So I said, all right, well, I just wanted to pass along some updated info and reiterate my interest in the position. Uh, the position that I've had the three interviews with, I did get the update that they are still interviewing candidates and uh, haven't made any decisions yet, which I'm kind of like... I'm trying to not let that create a new setback for me, but I'd be lying if I didn't say I did feel a little knocked back by it because there was such momentum at the beginning there again to then say, oh, but now you're still talking to other fucking people? Like, ugh, man. God. <laughs> but in any case, I am going to get editing, get some stuff out, get some invoices out, keep moving forward. Listening to some Portishead or some Birthday Massacre And uh, yeah So if this is resonating with anybody out there I am going to try to get circle back With the psychologists I've been speaking to Because I feel like hopefully as we're getting into the Holiday season maybe things will start slowing Down from the, for them on the uh, On the uh, You know busy front And maybe they can make some time for this But um, you know Join in the conversation feel free to be vulnerable with us I think um, For as much as I'm happy to be doing this One way NA group sharing uh, I'm also happy to Have the conversation directly with people And let them Give them a platform To share some of their story as well Hollow9podcast at gmail.com That's the word hollow The number 9 I-N-E Podcast All one word At gmail.com We do have a web designer helping us now And a new website is in the works So that should be coming very soon In fact I have to get them some Collateral today To be able to get me a mock up over the weekend So keep your eyes Peeled for that And uh, yeah check out I've got some stuff going on On Medium I've been posting the earlier episodes of this podcast over there To keep spreading the word For any of the folks over there Who are dealing with something that they need to feel in order to heal. And, uh, yeah, we've got the new podcast, uh, 15 Minutes of Movie Memory Madness. One episode is posted, five are recorded, a second one is edited. So, you know, things are, momentum is moving. The momentum is moving. All right, folks, I hope everyone's doing well out there. Thank you for being on this journey with me, and uh, let's keep going. So until next time. You've been listening to a production of the Hollow Nine Network. Feeling It, Healing It, A Diary of Recovery, featuring Dave Maresca. Thank you for listening to Feeling It, Healing It, A Diary of Recovery. 
Dave Maresca is not a trained medical professional, psychologist, psychiatrist, or licensed professional trained in providing therapeutic mental health care. This podcast is an account of his life experiences and meant to be just that. Any advice or suggestions made in the extemporaneous dialogue of the podcast is not intended to be medical or legal advice. If such advice is what you're seeking, you are encouraged to seek out the services of a licensed professional. The Hollow Nine Network and Dave Maraska assume no liability or responsibility for the information provided in these episodes.